How do you like my new Jetsons pulpit? <laughs> it's really cool. It makes the stage look bigger. The only thing is I have to be extra diligent on the zipper check before I come out because <laughs> you hide behind wood, it doesn't matter. But This week, uh, this last week, I was at the pastor's conference and one of my heroes came out for the conference and his name is Chomno In, and Chomno runs the Cambodian Hope Organization over in Cambodia, and we're sending Jeff Henneforth over to um, start a school of ministry to train pastors over there. Chomno, uh, whose family was murdered by the Khmer Rouge, if you're familiar with that recent history, has devoted his life to reaching out to those who killed his family, and God's used him in an amazing way in a country that considers themselves to be Buddhist. He goes where the Buddhists won't even go, out to little villages in the middle of nowhere, and, and God has used him to bring thousands of people to the Lord and plant churches and Christian schools all over just a neglected area of the world. And so um, all those churches need pastors who are trained, and so Jeff's going to be going over there and heading that up, and many of us have been over there and seen that work, but I wanted to just um, introduce you to Chom now and have him come up and just share with you for a couple minutes about what God's doing, so Chom now. Good morning, Jim This is the way great in Cambodia. You know, every time I come here, I feel glory, like the Holy Spirit here. It's make my heart so, so exciting. Well, I thank you so, uh, well, I thank you to Pastor Dev, and thank you to your church, Curry Chapel, Pastor Hill. Always keep praying for us. Thank you so much. Your prayer more powerful. Without your prayer, I cannot do anything in Cambodia. You know, every day, keep praying and pray in Cambodia. You pray for us, and I and all people in there pray for you. Every morning before we go to work, uh, all staff come together and, and study God's word and pray and pray for the people in Cambodia and for the children and women in Cambodia and in the world. And every, every Friday afternoon, we, we don't want to go to work. We, we love to, to study God's word, and we love to pray. And all staff come together afternoon. Normally, they, we work from Monday to Friday. And we, we said, the more we spend time with the Lord, the more we pray with, to, to the Lord, and the more God with us. And we give clear vision, the way to help people. So, last year, when I, last year, last year, when I was here, and I told you, please pray for us. And the fruitful happen after you pray for year, year. You know, now we have 30, 39 church on the long border. The reason of our ministry, we like to see 60 church grow on the long border where the former came. And our ministry, we help people with human trafficking, a lot of children from Cambodia to Thailand, especially in Pattaya, where it's a bad place in Thailand, a lot of brothel in there, and I come to visit children, and some children in jail, young children in jail, and, and one, one day I come to there, and one woman, Cambodian woman, pregnant, and then uh, I think she ill, and then very bad ill, and uh, we talk with the, the, the guy at, 
uh, at the jail, and they said that uh, no, she she did wrong. She did, she need, she cannot leave from jail, and then my heart pain, and we keep pray for her, and then next morning when I go, and then she passed away, and I see like without pray nothing happened. But thank to the Lord, we keep. I pray for her. I think I think God take her, take care of her. And every day, uh, go to the village, see a lot of HIV patients and children from HIV patients, and the parent pass away. Children live alone with the neighbors. Some children cannot have no food to eat, and we go and help them and provide a good place for them to, and provide food to them, and bring them to the school. Some place there is no water. You know, since what the, the, the climate is changing, the water system underground very low, and the, the well we used to drill, and this year some well cannot provide enough water. And, you know, like, uh, we pray, say, God, people need water, people need food. But still problem, we have one issue and another one issue happen. We have one, solve one problem, another issue happen. And nothing, nothing, solution without God. Uh, recently, our ministry called by our, our government to help to do master plan in Boipad. Now, Boipad number of people in Boipad, 150,000 people in there. And the, the government see this city grow a lot. And they, they would like to do good planning. So they ask our ministry come to how to do master plan. My God, I do not have skill to do master plan. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, God said that don't worry if he called to do and he provides somebody, somebody with us. And the, the team from Seattle and Kickhaber, they come to how to do master plan. Last April, I, I took the team from I came here last April and I took them to Boipat, meeting with the government and discuss planning. So we provide more ideas and the government start, they start to do master plan. And the process will take two years to finish those master plan. And also we are invited by, by the soldier to, to teach because they see what we are doing to help people, children, women. You know, like our government, they know this is issue. They just only say, but they don't want to do anything. And they said, if you want to do something, please give money to us, and we do. And, and the, our government would like to money, money, but the money every year come to Cambodia, a lot, a lot money come to Cambodia, but those money only to the high rank of some people in the, in the government. And also, uh, uh, like kind of corruption and to the, the party. And you know, the soldier, Came, they invite us come to do Bible teaching to the soldier, and we are invited uh, by 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 the Department of Education in in Diemen J Province to do teaching to the teacher to transform the country. We need to think from the uh, the education program, especially for the children, had to change the 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 concept of all people, but we need to pray for them. The purpose to transform. And in community, we need to think 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. People, they said, why you dream so far? I said, no, to work like this, to work with God, we need to be patient, to pray, 
Without patience, without prayer with the Lord, and nothing happened. Cannot do something by your help. So thank you so much for your church and always keep for us, pray for us. And you know, now we have 39 church. And and those pastors, they they receive a little a little bit uh, learning from Bible. And we need somebody come to do training more and more from God's word. And we'd like to thank you to your church that allow Pastor Jeff come to Cambodia. So he come to to Cambodia Cambodia in July. Hope through him will build the leader of those church. And they will those church leaders they could teach the right words from the Bible to the people. The dream would like to see one ch- one village, one church. And the response to the community, church going to respond to the community issue. Like church can pray for the people, church can give counseling, church can do uh, wedding celebration, church can do funeral. Like any, you know, before Buddhists run a big role in community, but now the Buddhists go down. And we like to bring all the church respond to the issue in, 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 in the community. Without your prayer, without your support, without your work, with us, nothing happened. I like invite you to pray. Invite you come to visit our country, working together, bring people come to the Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please pray for for Jeff too. Thank you, Chamnell. Let's turn in our Bibles now to James chapter 5 as we've come to the end of this great book of James and it's been a great journey going through it. It's just a lot of practical stuff. It's been painful at times, but James is letting us know a real common sense spiritual way to live life. In the previous section that we studied, James who has been dwelling a lot on the whole issue of pride and humility and reminding us of who we aren't, that we're not God, that everything doesn't have to go our way. Um, He has, in the last section, exhorted us toward patience. Patience is waiting, but it's how you wait that makes it patience. We always have to wait. Things are never our way exactly, but patience is being able to be okay with the fact that we have to wait before things are the way we want them to be. It's an attitude of the heart. Now, we're all going to wait. It's a question of how you wait. And the alternative to patience is stress and anxiety. Because if it's going to take God a while before he does something, you can either wait patiently or you can worry about it. You can get upset about it. You can be uptight about it. And, And that's the way most of us deal with things that aren't the way we want them to be. Everything in our life that we look at it and go, I want this to change, I want this to be different. The way we deal with that is by upsetting ourselves. And I'm on edge all the time. I'm exploding or I am just, you know, so anxious. But here in James 5, now James shifts gears from talking about patience to to dealing with the alternative to patience. Okay, what can you do instead of being anxious? The, really, the, the alternative to a bad reaction to patience, which is stress and anxiety. So what do you do instead? 
James shares with us a bit here. Beginning with verse 12. In verse 12, he says, But above all, my brethren, and he's talking about this whole last section. He's wrapping it up, and he's going, Okay, remember this. Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So he says, first of all, I could tell you're uptight. Don't swear. Swearing is not the alternative, but the response to what would make you want to swear is instead to be decisive, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, let me explain. A lot of times when we talk about swearing, we're just thinking of using bad words. But what swearing is, is any way in which you bring artificial intensity to the situation or you qualify what you say you're going to do. Now, James is quoting Jesus here. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 said, don't swear. Don't swear by heaven. Don't because that's where God lives. Don't swear by Jerusalem. That's his city. He said, don't even swear by your own head because you can't even make your head have dark hair or gray hair. Um, this was before Grecian formula. And so he goes, just don't swear, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, here's how this works. If you're inconsistent, then you need to find some way to designate, I really mean what I say. So many people are flaky, and it creates stress all around us. But he's saying, don't, and what they would do in, in their day that Jesus was addressing is, if they would say, I swear by Jerusalem, then it would be like, well, you know, maybe they will do it and maybe they won't. But if they said, I swear by the temple or by the holy place in the temple, that meant, no, I really mean it this time. But, and then if you, I, I, I swear on the life of my children. Usually that would be pretty reliable, depending on how old your children are. But the, the whole point was, if I say something, I don't necessarily mean it. And when I get really upset, I'm going to state it in a stronger way. We teach our kids this when we, you know, we tell them something in a nice, calm voice, but they know we don't really mean it at that point because there are no consequences to, to ignoring a nice, calm voice. And so we go, Johnny, 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 maybe throw in the middle name and everything. Then it's like, oh, yeah, that's what, that means it's time to pay attention. And so in our lives, we live them so often by picking and choosing what to accentuate. And what he's saying is, you shouldn't be that way. It's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. It doesn't communicate well. When you say something, you should mean it. And you should do it. And your word should be your pledge. It shouldn't just be, well, I said it, but it's not on the written contract. He's going, no, just say it. And yet, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say no, that means no. Deal with it, live with it, forget about it. So many people have stresses in their life because they never learn to let their yes be yes and their no be no. We sit there and vacillate on a decision. And what we even decide to do could change at any moment. We have that tendency to be, well, whatever I say, I'll still negotiate it. 
And many of us don't even ever get to yes or no. And so we bring the stress in our life because every decision that you need to make that's hanging there, that's weighing on you, it only drags you down. It only causes a greater amount of stress. And the truth is, when you have to make a decision, it's usually not all that important. The consequences of which decision you make are often don't even matter, and yet you labor over the decision as if you're God. Like what you do is going to affect everything else in the world, and it's all about making the right decisions. It's almost never about making the right decisions. It's always about responsibly dealing with decisions that have been made, because most of the decisions that are going to affect your life are being made by someone else. Well, it's not about those decisions. It's about how you accept reality and deal with that. And so Jesus said, as James does, just make it. Make the call. You've seen umpires in, in athletic events who seem to hesitate when they're making a call. And that's the one thing you can't do. You have to make the call. And in life, we have all these decisions to make. And you can either spend your life stressed out over decisions that you haven't made yet, or you can make the call, live with the choices, and get that part over with. Because once I decide this is what I'm going to do, now I just can get on with making it happen. I had a good friend who dated the same girl for many years, since they were kids. And he just could not decide to marry her. And it was frustrating for all of us. And I told him many times, Tom, just dump her. Do her a favor. It's not, you're not going to do this. It's been you know, 12 years or something. You just, why don't you just do it or not do it? Yes or no? And he kind of went back and forth. And then finally he decided to marry her. But she was a little concerned about it. And we all were. Like, guy, you, you don't seem very committed to this decision. But now they've been married for 20 years or something. They have a great marriage and three beautiful kids, and it all worked out fine. But how much earlier they could have been blessed if he had just decided at some point, okay, I'm not going to get any more data. I'm just going to make the decision. And so a lot of times we artificially create delays because we're just afraid to decide. You know, when you go out to lunch today and you look at the menu the truth is, your week will not be affected by which salad you order, or by whether you get this, or whether you get that, or whether you, it, just order. Just, just, just make the decision. And that's what James is saying here. Don't get yourself all worked up. Don't be unreliable. Don't be somebody that your word doesn't mean anything. Say you're going to do it and just do it. Let's spend our life doing things, not deciding things, in other words. But then he gets into, and by the way, in verse 12 where it says, you know, let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. That word that's translated there, judgment, is the word hypocrisis, which is, we get hypocrisy from this same word. It's the word that means to judge, the word that, we have the word like critic or crisis. It's a point of judgment, and then hypo means under. What he's saying is, if you just don't say yes and it's yes, or no and it's no, 
you're going to end up being a hypocrite. You're going to be known as somebody who's not relied on. You'll come under the very judgment of your own standards. So he says, don't be a phony. Just do what you're going to do. Say what you're going to say. Don't threaten. Don't labor over it. And I often tell people this in marriage counseling, where always they come in and like they're thinking, I don't know, you know, I really am not committed to this. I really don't want to be married. And I just sometimes say, well, the first thing is to decide whether you are going to be married or not. Because I know people who make their lives miserable for 30 years trying to decide whether they should be married. Make up your mind. If you're married, if you're making that commitment, be all in. If not, call it quits and get out. Now, you have to deal with scriptures based on how you make that decision, but I'll tell you something, there aren't going to be new scriptures that pop up that you go, oh, great, this fixes it. Just decide. If you don't decide, you're making a decision to live with stress in your life, and ultimately it's very hypocritical. Get it over with, do what you're going to do, and move on. And, so, um, and that's not a word from the Lord about your marriage. <laughs> it's about life in general. Then he goes further and says what we can do. And he says, is anyone among you suffering? Are you in pain? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So he says, respond to who you are, and here's what you do. If you're feeling lousy, you don't complain, you don't swear, you don't freak out. If you feel lousy, pray. And if you feel happy, praise. Just take to God those things that you have inside of you. That's God's way of relieving the stress. Don't carry it. Cast all your cares on him, Peter says, because he cares for you. Now he goes on and says, is anyone among you sick? Because this is often the source of suffering for us. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Now James earlier, remember in chapter 1, he said, if you lack wisdom, ask God. In chapter 4, he says, you have not because you ask not. There's so much going on in your life that if you just prayed, it would change. And he says, when you do pray, you're praying for the wrong things. You're praying selfishly. You're praying for your own feelings and from your own feelings. And so that doesn't get answered. But James isn't down on prayer because he says right here, look, your response to sickness or to pain is to take it to the Lord. Prayer is a powerful tool that's available to us, that's there at our disposal. And if we don't do it or if we do it wrong, we're going to suffer needlessly. Now, here, as he's talking about people who are sick, he says, call for the elders to pray for them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sins, they'll be forgiven. Um, commentators kind of struggle with this business of anointing with oil a little bit, because the concept of anointing with oil was used as a medicinal sort of concern in the Bible, such as when the, um, the Good Samaritan came by and found the guy laying by the side of the road. It says he nursed his wounds, anointed him with oil, and then took him to a place for him to recuperate. And so um, that was oil was one of the only medicinal things that they would have, and they would do medicinal rubs with oil in order to help them. So, but at the same time, anointing has sometimes 
been associated in more of a ceremonial way to speak of the presence of the Holy Spirit. As in the Old Testament, when a priest or a, a king or someone was entered into office, they would be anointed with oil. So which is it? It's hard to say. But just in case, for one thing, make sure you go to the doctor. If you're sick, go to the doctor. Don't be moaning about being sick and then don't go to the doctor. But at the same time, make sure that you ask for prayer. Make sure that you ask someone to pray for you. And if you so feel led, ask them to anoint you with oil when they pray for you. I don't know if that's specifically what's being taught, but it certainly doesn't hurt anything. I had a friend who was a youth pastor in a Korean church, and he was really proud of how much he was teaching these kids. And I went to speak there one time, and he was quizzing them, and they had been studying through the book of James. And, and he said, he asked the kids, he goes, why do we anoint with oil when we pray for someone? And they were all thinking. It was really clear they didn't know. And so they were kind of going back and forth. And one of them said, so things will go smooth? <laughs> Maybe that's part of it, I don't know. But it doesn't hurt. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Anointing with oil isn't magic. Anointing with oil isn't what makes someone well. I don't feel like, oh no, I haven't been anointed with oil, therefore God's not going to answer the prayer. It doesn't say the anointing with oil will heal you. It says the prayer of faith will do the work. So it's the prayer that does it. The anointing with oil can be a special reminder of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so if you so feel led to be anointed with oil when you get prayed, that's great. But the point is, don't miss, the whole point is prayer. Now here, as he talks about it, he seems to mix in sin with it because he says, if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And then he goes on in verse 16 and says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So now there are some people who read this and say that anytime someone's sick, it's because of sin. If you get the sin out of your life, then you um, will be well. Now if that was the case and all you had to do was confess your sins, and he would heal you, then the people in the early church would have never died. They would have just lived forever. So it obviously isn't that kind of a guarantee. And it also is very clear, just common sense tells you, not everyone who's sick is sick because of sin. And that's why he just says, if he has committed sins, that is, that are specifically related to the illness, you know, confess them, and they'll be forgiven. There are certain sins that are definitely connected to sin. And you know this in your own life. Now, I don't think that we should be scrutinizing other people as the disciples did to the man who they said, well, Jesus, how come he's blind? Is it because of his sin or is it because of his parents' sin? Jesus said, it's so God will be glorified. That's all you need to know. However, there are certain things in our lives that hurt, and we did it. And it's important as we ask God to heal us that we also ask, is there something that I need to confess? Is there something that I need to change? God's grace is sufficient. His forgiveness is certain. But it's confessing our sins that, that is connected with the forgiveness of our sins. Now, let me give you an example. If you have been abusing your body and now you get sick as a result of that, yeah, it's sad that you're sick, but you, if you've contributed to it 
And all you want is for the effects of your abuse of your body to go away, but you don't confess that sin and take responsibility for it. You're going to continue to live a life of stress. In our society, the kind of food that we eat will often make you sick. Most of the time when people think they have the flu, um, most studies say that actually they have food poisoning because of the kinds of foods that we eat. Now, God loves me, and if I just eat a bunch of junk and I get sick and I ask him to heal me, he wants to do that. But he also wants me to notice how I got where I am, how this happened, how this works, and, and to just own up to it. If I, you know, I'm smoking three packs of cigarettes a day and then I get lung cancer, I want to be healed. But I also think, I did this to myself. Same thing if I overeat or under-exercise. Same thing if I'm not getting enough sleep and now I have a headache as a result of it or other reactions are happening in my body. Yeah, I'll pray. But I also want to think, every time I pray for healing, I just want to go, God, is there some lesson that I need to learn here? Do I need to be more cautious as I take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do I need to be more respectful of preserving this body that you've given me as a tent, but a tent that needs to last me until you take me home? Um, and so James is saying, yeah, you hurt? Admit it. Admit that you hurt. Ask for healing. Go to someone and receive prayer, but also ask yourself, have I been contributing to this? And if so, confess your sins. Don't be like someone who's just banging their head against a wall and then goes, oh God, please heal me so I can go back to doing it again. And so he says, confess your trespasses and, and the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer. The word there, and those are just one word in the Greek, and it's the word energeo, the word that we transliterate to energize. You, you know the word ergon, we hear that a lot, it comes up, it means work. And in just means in. So in work, the idea is the prayer that works. The prayer that is energized. The, and that's why they translate it as fervent, because it's like, no, I am devoting myself to this, this is something that I am serious about. I'm not just tossing a prayer request out there, I'm actually working making my responsibility, the responsibility to confess and, and to pray. And he says, it can do a lot. And the word there where it says it avails much is literally a word that says has much strength. In other words, what he's saying is, there is power in energized prayer. Prayer works. It makes a difference. Do I understand how it does in light of God's sovereignty and everything? No. But I know that to live your life without taking advantage of energizing prayer is to live a life of pain, a life of stress, a life of misery, because God is waiting and going, why don't you get your act together, confess it where you're wrong, pray for healing, and that works. And prayer is one of the greatest privileges that we have in the world. And we do far too little of it, and often we would rather worry than to pray. We'd rather stress ourselves out than to give it over to the Lord. 
And part of it is maybe because we don't even want to face our own guilt. But James is going, own up to who you are. Own up to what you've done. Receive forgiveness. Ask for healing. Ask the Lord to touch you. And not every time, because it's all according to his will, but more often than not, he's going to heal you. Things are going to get better. You're going to sense just a, a touch of the Spirit of God in your life. And so he says, do that. He goes on to use Elijah as an example. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This is over in 1 Kings 18, if you want to check it out later. Elijah was living in Israel in a time when it was sickeningly gross. Ahab and Jezebel were running the country. They hired people to be the official prophets of Baal and idolaters, to be an influence over the land. It was awful. But God laid it upon Elijah's heart to pray for it to not rain. Now, it's pretty impressive to pray that it won't rain and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. That is pretty good. At the end of that time, God had Elijah challenge the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel and called fire from heaven. Prophets of Baal were destroyed. It was an amazing victory. And then to cap it all off, he prayed again and it rained. And, and yet, as James says, Elijah wasn't some superhero. He was just like us. He was a guy just like us. In fact, after having that great victory, he ran away and hid in a cave and wanted to die. And James goes, but look what happened when he prayed. A prayer that God had, had laid on his heart to pray. Now, you go, ooh, I'd like to be able to do something like that. Well, think about it a little bit. If you could, if you could pray for something radical to happen right now, what would you pray for? Lakers to win the championship? You know? Maybe Dodgers and Angels to meet in the, in the World Series or for you to win the lottery or something great. Think about what Elijah prayed. He prayed that it would stop raining. I mean, that means raining on him too. He's actually praying in a way that he sacrificed his own well-being because he was so convinced that this was something that God was laying on his heart and that God wanted to use to bring the nation to repentance. Again, so often what we pray is just for us. And James had already showed us in chapter 4, that's the wrong way to pray. Elijah prayed a self-sacrificial prayer, and powerful things happened. Amazing thing happened. And as a result, and he was endangering his life because they heard that he prayed that it would stop raining. And, and Ahab was looking for him to hold him accountable for it. And so he was afraid, and he was hiding out, and ultimately God told him, go talk to Ahab, and he went there, and Ahab said to him, you are the one who's troubling Israel. And Elijah said, no, you're the one who's troubling Israel. And then this challenge to the prophets of Baal happened, and this fire from heaven and a great victory. If we were listening to the Spirit and willing to sacrifice ourselves in the process, I think it would be amazing the kind of prayers that God would answer. 
if we just wanted the right things and, and were willing to do it. God is still in the miracle-working business, but we're asking for the wrong stuff, and as a result, it's not happening. But James is saying here, you're so concerned about everything, are you praying the way that God tells you to pray? Is prayer a vital, intimate part of your life? Are you spending energy, are you seeing as your work to pray about everything you care about? Once you pray, you're done. You can't do anything else. Pray and let God have the stress. You don't need it on yourself. And then finally, in verse 19, he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and anyone who's away from the Lord is somebody who's just wandered there. They didn't wake up one day as a six-year-old and decide to be a heathen for the rest of their life. But they wander from the truth, and if someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So James has already said to be patient, to use your time wisely. Make decisions where you abide by your word. Be decisive and don't just swear and get worked up. Just calmly do what you feel led to do. And then make sure that your life is just full of prayer, the right kind of prayer. And now here in these last two verses, he says, share with people how they can find Jesus Christ. Share the gospel with others. You are surrounded by people, and, and we're constantly moaning and groaning about how evil this world is. I mean, don't we? A lot of times that's a favorite topic of conversation among Christians, how lousy the heathens are. How bad are the, you know, Satan's just winning all the, Well, hey, if you feel that way, okay, great, I agree with you. But James would say, how about doing something about it? How about telling people how they can receive grace? How about understanding these are just people who have wandered off track. Bring them to the one who made them. Introduce them to Jesus Christ. It's why every Sunday I explain at the end of the service, no matter what I'm teaching on, how someone can accept Jesus Christ. Because I know there are people in a room this size who haven't done that. And that's more important than everything else. That's why we are left here, is so that people can get saved. And if you don't know how to tell somebody that, bring them to church. You know every week they're going to hear and have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, that's what we do. That's what we are here for, is to share the story of what the Lord has done for us and to allow other people to know that. And by doing that, we save souls from hell. We rescue people who would be dying for eternity otherwise. And he says, you know, you'll save a soul from death and you cover a multitude of sins. You don't like all the sins that you see out there? Well, this is the way to cover it, by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the way to allow people to have their sins forgiven and to allow people's lives to actually turn around and start doing something productive. That's our call to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And James is going, don't miss that. Do that. That's something that you can do instead of just being stressed with how awful everyone is. I remember when my son Danny was about five or so, they were being babysat, and we would usually order pizza. So the pizza would come, and they would get it. And, and so the pizza guy came and delivered the pizza, and he said, is there anything else I can do for you? And little Danny 
said, yeah, you want to lead us in prayer? Because I would sometimes say that to waitresses just to make them uncomfortable. And when they ask, and so he goes, yeah, you want to lead us in prayer? And the guy's all nervous. And he goes, uh, no. And little Danny goes, heathen. <laughs> but it's cute for a five-year-old. But at some point, we ought to figure out those sinners are our opportunity to say, you don't have to be miserable anymore. Your life can turn around. It, it can change. And we live as an example, and we share that love, and we can make a difference. And so instead of stressing out, just take responsibility, live your life calmly, and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Then focus your attention on prayer. Everything you care about, pray about. And pray to God about how you should pray about those things. Prayer is powerful. Chom knows, as he was sharing with you all that God's doing in Cambodia, you know, one of the most exciting things that the Lord has done for him is connections with the government of Cambodia. And that came about because they saw him starting schools everywhere and churches, and they had all these children who had been kidnapped and sold into prostitution in Thailand. And we're talking about kids that are four and five years old. Child prostitution's huge over there. And there's good money in Thailand for it. Well, the Thai government's been getting a lot of pressure to do something about it. And so when they would bust these prostitution rings, they would find the Cambodian kids and send them back to Cambodia. And so the Cambodian government has all these little kids, and they've been through untold horror in their lives, some of them for five or six years, and now they're like, what do we do with them? And so they talked to Chom No, and they said, would you take these children and help them? We can't, we don't know what to do. And Chom No said, we're a small organization. We can't take on a burden like that. But he said, I'll tell you what, we will pray. And when we pray, things happen. And so we'll pray. And so he began to pray. And not long after that, someone gave him a piece of property. And then People such as you and other churches gave some money to start building some homes on that property. And now he has this ministry where these little children are coming there and being taught about Jesus and given skills so that they can get a job later. Lives are being radically changed, but it all started with prayer. And that's why when Chomno speaks, he's like, you need to pray and your prayer and your prayer and your prayer. When you're the kind of person who prays, you're the kind of person that sees things happen. And then the opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ and see people's lives are changed, that always follows a life of prayer. It always follows someone who lays themselves on the line, is willing to sacrifice themselves in order to see God do a mighty work. And so James is just saying, this is way better than stressing yourself out. Learning to be patient, learning to be decisive, learning to pray, learning to share the gospel. That's what will make your life powerful, worthwhile, life-changing, world-changing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We're sorry for all the times we don't use the power that is at our disposal. But God, you're good, and whenever we turn to you and from our hearts pray as, as you lead, things happen. So I pray that we would learn this truth and apply it and appropriate it. 
And God, help us to be looking and praying for opportunities to bring people to Jesus Christ, to invite non-Christians to church, to share with them what you have done for us. That's what we're here for. And Lord, I pray that even this week, as we feel the pressure mounting, as we feel the stress entering our lives, we would think of the Scripture. And if there are decisions to be made, we'll just make them. And if there are prayers to be prayed, we'll lift them up to you. And if there are opportunities to share the gospel, we will faithfully do that. And we'll give you all the glory for all that you do as you give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.